Scene 3. The Producer. Amphitheater at Thor's base. Shentlepiece City. Frigg's Day. Gnomes. Afternoon, 24th of March, 1283. Eve of the Feast of the Annunciation. New Year's Eve. Ignoring the elves' flustered grimaces and looks of disdain, Reverend Appleseed preaches on. Being able to ascend into the trees and visit with the companions to the eagles, friends of the squirrels, and delegates to the clouds is an honor I would have never imagined available to me in all of God's glorious creation. Upon hearing Dungaree Jean's translation of his flattering and poetic comment, the elves soften their harsh expressions. Florence breathes a sigh of relief. And so I've come here today to offer you a few more marvels of creation, so as you can share in his goodness and his providence even better. My pappy always told me it's not polite to ask a friend to worship the Lord on an empty stomach. From that time onward, I decided to make sure everybody in Vinland's got a full belly, so as we could sing together songs of praise to our God. Why the apple? Adam and Eve ate apples before getting kicked out of paradise— since we can't get back in until the Lord comes again, we'd might as well stock up on a few apples out here to munch on while we're waiting. He reaches behind the chest flap of his overalls and pulls out an apple. He bites into it. Taking his time to chew and swallow that first chunk, he then goes for another bite. And another. Crunch. The elves look at him, mesmerized. He winks back at them and says, It's healthy for you, too. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. With that, he grabs another apple from his overalls, shines it on his shirt, and says, Here, chief, sink your teeth into one of these and tell me what you think. He tosses the apple at umpire Kibler, but Dungaree Jean, with quick reflexes, intercepts his pass and says in English, Of course, we'd all love to sample the fruit of your labors, Reverend Appleseed, but food will be served after your talk. We don't want to spoil anyone's appetite by snacking in between meals, do we? Johnny Appleseed shrugs and says, Suit yourself. He then pulls out a thin sheet of lead and two separate pouches of white powders from deep inside his overalls and dumps them all in a wooden bowl. Immediately, black flame billows up from the bowl. In my travels, I've found that oftentimes people've got plenty of food, but it goes bad before they can eat it. This black flame chills vegetables, meats, and fruit juices to keep them from spoiling quickly. Stick a little brazier of this black flame in your cupboard, and your food will stay fresh for weeks. It's perfectly safe. It takes metals as kindling, so it won't set trees or living creatures on fire. It burns clean, no smoke. You don't even need to blow on it or stoke it up. Leave a lead plate in here, and instead of ashes or soot, you'll find a beautiful piece of stained glass. Reverend Johnny Appleseed wraps the end of his ragged linen shirt around his hand, using the hem as a mitt, and reaches into the brazier. With a quick snatch, he pulls out a nice slab of crystalline yellow glass. He draws a few oohs and ahs from the audience. Umpire Kibler stands up, clapping deliberately, and calls out, Cottage humans clap their hands to show appreciation. Let us thank Reverend Appleseed in gestures that his own culture understands. Warmer applause erupts. After Johnny Appleseed sits back down, umpire Kibler peers over to make sure that the tall human is firmly settled into his chair before daring to walk over next to him again. On his way back onto the stage, the high elf leader pauses to unruffle his green robes and straighten his yellow sash, emphasizing his renewed sense of self-worth. 
The umpire-in-chief of Shentlepie City concludes the New Year's Thor's Enlightenment Discourse, TED, with a short speech in Eldrick. This black flame is an intriguing new fire technology. The smith gods, Wayland, Vulcan, and Hephaestus, have hidden the black flame from the other gods cautiously, and Prometheus seems to have altogether forgotten to distribute it among mortals. But this is to our advantage. We get the first crack at it. Not long ago, we felt invincible for having deciphered the code of Athabasque fire. After learning about it from the canoe humans, we combined it with Greek fire and perfected it into our own unquenchable elf fire. The Clayborn of Vinland are forgetting our prowess with fire weaponry. Goblins encroach in our lands, humans rob fire elf merchants, and dwarves cook up new fire recipes in an attempt to vie with us. We must study and unlock the secrets of this black flame if we are to reassert our military dominance in Vinland. Before me, I see row after row of stunningly good-looking, stylishly dressed geniuses, if anyone can master this black flame, it's you, O oh fire elves of Tuscarora Mountain. The elves wrap their knuckles on the wooden benches and clink their silver and gold rings and bracelets for applause, as is their custom. Cheers whistle through the assembly like a howling wind. Dungaree Jean blurs her translation of the umpire in chief's words. She's guessing Johnny Appleseed has no intention of becoming an arms dealer. Meanwhile, umpire Kibler carries the wooden bowl of black flame back to the colossal statue of Thor behind them and puts it inside a brazier. I hereby dedicate this black flame in honor of Thor, the chief protector of this treetop colony. Let us all take upon ourselves the sacred duty to analyze its alchemical composition, to unlock its artistic and industrial potential, and most of all, to weaponize it. The high elves stand up with great enthusiasm and extend their right hands straight up into the air, chanting, Kibler, hail! Kibler, hail! Dungaree Jean chooses not to translate that last bit of information for Reverend Appleseed, either. Florence leaps up cheering and joins her father on stage. Meanwhile, Zena stews in her seat, grumpy and resentful. Knowing a good deal of English herself, Zena mulls over her mother's reluctance to translate accurately for the missionary. In a flash of inspiration, she hatches a plan to cool the rising enthusiasm for umpire Kibler and sap the political momentum he is winning for Florence. Grinning wildly, Zena steps over to Johnny Appleseed and drops a pouch of gold coins in his lap. He looks up at her, a bit confused. What's this? Zena answers in her heavily accented English. Tuscarora double eagles, pure gold coins worth twenty dollars each. Reverend Appleseed is so shocked he barely manages to speak. Okay, but what's it for? I'm offering you these gifts freely. Zena gives him a wink. We call it earnest money. Umpire Kibler Ernestson has family tradition of holding on to good deal. He not want you to give the dark fire to anyone else. This money to be followed by much more if you keep it our little secret. Appleseed scratches his ear and tilts his head back. Tell him that I serve the Lord and not Mammon. You should be afraid to stand up to him and tell him yourself. He is too powerful. Without another moment's hesitation, he stands to his full height and hands the money bag over to umpire Kibler. I don't want your hush money. Despite his high heels, Umpire Kibler's head barely reaches up to Appleseed's bushy gray beard, 
His shortness is painfully obvious to all the high elves there. The entire audience gasps at a second, and this time intentional, act of effrontery against their umpire-in-chief's short stature. Umpire Kibler shoots an angry look in Dungaree Jean's direction. Madame Dungaree, tell your Christian preacher here that the base ledges tend to be rather low for exceedingly tall men such as himself, and newcomers get vertigo real easy when they see for themselves how high up we really are. <laughs>